severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job Hello and welcome to episode 121 of Just Get A Real Job. I'm of course your host, Jamie McKinley, and we have another brilliant episode in store for you today. And this week on the podcast, we are joined for a very interesting chat by the artistic director of Stuff and Nonsense for Your Company, Nikki McCretton. And Nikki recorded this episode live from her rehearsal space and a theatre company that she was at with Stuff and Nonsense, which was really nice. It's always lovely when guests sort of speak to us directly from their workspace. It kind of adds a bit of, I don't know, it adds a bit of energy and a bit of, I don't know, just to, it's interesting getting to sort of see them in their natural habitat, I suppose. But Nikki's been working in theatre for over 30 years. She particularly specialises in kids-led theatre. And Actually, speak of the devil, our editor-in-chief himself, Elliot Mitchell, has just called me, so I'm going to answer this live on air. Hello, sir. I'm actually currently recording the intros right now, so you're, you're live on the podcast. How can I help you? You're talking, right? No, I'm recording right now. Look, I'm not... I'm not. I'll be honest to the list. I'll be I'll be honest to the listeners. A lot of the time in the past, when me and Elliot have done calls together on the podcast, they're, they're scripted. This is not scripted <laughs> at all. Um, you never told me about this. Well, you phoned me. I'm doing. I'm doing a good job for you. I'm doing the intros and outros. Um, but I'm just introducing this week's guest, who has been working in theatre for over thirty years. It's a very inspiring conversation. But while I have you, I just want to say a massive thank you to all your work over the last few weeks. I know you've been a very busy person. Have you been enjoying this run of the podcast? Because I don't think you've been on for a while. The listeners haven't heard from you, sir. Oh well, I'm still alive, listeners. Don't worry about me. I'm not locked in the dungeon. I'm still kicking about, and I'm still editing. But yeah, no, we've had a couple of good guests that've been on a the couple. podcast. We've had like twenty. Uh, guess only a couple of them have been good yeah but remember we, we reflect back to like when we did a live show in august and then you know obviously we went to paisley to do that festival so there's been a couple of guests that we've really tuned into plus some old friends as well so it's it's been grand but i'm doing great but it's it's a pleasure as always to do the edits and to as i say to make your voice tremendous in terms of editing so it's it's all good great well i'll finish this off and i'll i'll call you back always lovely to hear from elliot and uh, that was generally not planned at all so but yes it was lovely to have nikki on the podcast it was a really really inspiring conversation as i said to nikki at the end of the episode like i think a lot of people would be lucky to have had nikki involved in their education or their creative journeys when they were younger because the work she does is amazing and stuff and nonsense actually have a retelling of the Three Little Pigs, which we talk about more in this week's episode as well. That's touring all the way through till April and I think further next year. So there's links to all that in the show notes. There's links to Nikki's work and the work of Stuff and Nonsense Theatre in the show notes as well. But it's a cracking conversation. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. And without much further ado, here is episode 121 of Just Get A Real Job. Good evening, Nikki. How are you? Lovely to see you. And thanks for speaking to us from a from a theatre. In amongst all the action. Absolutely. We've got our dress rehearsal tomorrow and our brand new show opens on Saturday. So yeah, it's a really exciting week. Yeah, no, it's very exciting. Before we sort of kick off, do you just want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us very, we'll get into the details, but tell us very briefly, like, what you do and what your sort of job in the creative industries is, etc. My name's Nikki, Nikki McCretton, and I am the artistic director of Stuff and Nonsense Theatre Company, which is a company that I kind of grew over the years in different roles, originally as a producer and as a performer. And I also directed some of the shows, but in the last few years, I've stepped out to become the artistic director. So I don't get to perform as much anymore, but it's really, really wonderful to be the person kind of instigating the ideas for the shows that we're going to put on over the coming years and to be liaising with other creatives to work out what we're going to make. So it's a really, really wonderful job. I also have another hat, which is a little bit unusual in that I'm also a theatre owner because oh, 12 wow. years, yeah, I managed to, well, there was an old theatre in the town that I live in, which is Bridport in Dorset, which had been boarded up for a number of years and I didn't know it was there. And by some miracle, I managed to buy it with a loan from Lloyds Bank as a base for the company, but also for other creatives in the community and 
artists in the wider artistic community to have a space where we can make our work and share sorry for the cheering there's a youth theater in this building at the moment <laughs> yeah and that space offers us an opportunity to share our creative process with audiences in Dorset who maybe have not experienced being in, in on the creative process they've only seen the end product before so yes so that's the sort of two two main hats that I wear that's incredible but you'd, I mean we'll go into this in more detail as well but Another thing I was reading about you, which is very interesting, is the amount of work you sort of do with young people and letting young people access theatre, especially as I, re- I was only able to read the headline to this article because it's under a paywall. But there was a, the headline was we aim to reach cho- children whose families usually don't come to the theatre. Obviously, there's a lot of particularly working class kids that don't get access to the creative industries in general because it's not a world they're really in their orbit. So I think that's so interesting and really excited to sort of chat to you a bit more about that because this podcast is very much about celebrating the creative industries but particularly looking at those non-linear career paths and shining a light on this very strange industry etc. Yeah I mean for me I mean I come from background of my dad being a teacher um, and actually I was at his school for a number of years as well which I don't recommend going to dad's school that's tough (laughs) but it meant that as I got older and left primary school I was always hanging out in the primary school to help my dad or waiting for a lift home after work with him and so I've always had a sensibility of being around children a lot and witnessing their creativity. So when I was first sort of commissioned to make a piece of theatre for children, I just thought, well, I need some children in the room because I don't have my own children and they'll know, they'll know, they'll know this. So that's just always been my process of making the work is to get children in the room with me and to chuck the ideas around together and try ideas out and just have a sort of spirit with children and young people of anybody being able to say, I've just had what I think is a brilliant idea and have the energy that everybody else says, great, let's try it. And we just try everything. So that's sort of where my pedagogy of making work for children and families has come from. And then, of course, yes, as I've sort of realised touring that work, I've become more and more passionate, as have the whole company now, about it's much more fun to be performing to children who haven't maybe been to the theatre to very much than it is to be performing to children that get to go all the time because yeah. we get such more, I don't know, more of a raw response, I, I think. So, I mean, one of our favourite audiences is in Plymouth where we play a lot at Theatre Royal Plymouth. Those audiences are just fantastic because many of them, it's their first time, you know, they're young families who've, you know, their first child's just turned three and they're old enough now to bring to the theatre. And that's such a privilege to be there creating work with that audience. So, yeah, we're really, really passionate about that work reaching everybody. And and I know, you know, we talk a lot about access and barriers to coming to the (laughs) theatre. I think for us, making very, very playful work from children's ideas means that the work is quite anarchic. Yeah. Because children are very spirited and actually they don't really make stuff that's quite sweet. You know, like we might as adults think, oh, let's make this and we'll make it really sweet and charming. Actually, a lot of the children don't want sweet and charming. They kind of want a bit of rough and tumble or a, a bit of drama straight off the at the beginning of the show. So it's really interesting. It's a, really makes you make work very differently. Yeah, for sure. And even kids that might not necessarily go into the arts and have a career, it does so much for kids' self-esteem, for the way we learn, just for people's development. I think so many, unfortunately, in the education system, it's just like this in Scotland, but I think it's also like this in the wider UK. It's like not enough people have access to the arts. They're not really looked up as much as they should be. You know, it's maths or English or sort of the two subjects, you know, or science or whatever. It's like there is a real sort of, not snobbery, it's the wrong word, but like I don't think the arts are appreciated enough and so many kids don't have access to them. And I think what you do is very, and and what your company does is vital for that. And also not, that's not even to mention like more rural representation, because if you don't grow up in a city or a big mm-hmm. city, then it's even harder for you to see stuff at the theatre, you know. So I think all this is very interesting. I'm very excited to get into it. Like, yeah, no, I think what you you're you're so right and I mean I think you know when you work in the arts you know you're interacting with the arts all the time and you witness you know artists going into schools to do whatever they want to do and I mean I I feel like we go in to create with the children rather than to deliver we're not really delivering anything we're just going in to be creative with them and see what happens and of course we know in in 
the arts that whenever you do that, the teachers end up saying phrases like, oh, all the children that don't normally engage well in the classroom engaged really well in your sessions. And we're going, yes, we know, because that's what happens every time. And that's not to brag. It's just that perhaps those less academic children or children children with yeah. needs access learning in a different way. And of course, the, art, the cultural activity that we bring enables them to do that really, really easily. So then you suddenly see those children that don't normally shine in the classroom, absolutely shine. And it's such a lovely surprise mm. for the teachers, also for the other children to, to see that. And we know that that happens all the time. And it is, it's upsetting in the education system when you're like, why are the arts so squeezed when we know yeah. it does so much for self-esteem, communication, oracy, you know, ideas making, structural construction for set design, you know, storytelling, writing, editing. It's doing everything in the curriculum. It's just not coming at it in an obvious way. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? No, completely. My mo- well, you, I mean, you were saying that your dad was a teacher, or, like, my mo- or maybe still is a teacher, but my, I mean, my mum's a teacher, so like, I'm also very like aware of the education. I don't know, something I talk about quite often and something I love about this podcast, not not that I'm sure many young people probably listen to this under a certain age, to be honest, but it's just having these conversations is very important and, and this being an educational tool in itself. But I think, yeah, I completely hear you and I think it's so important. It's something I'm very passionate about. So it's always lovely to have people like yourself on this who are doing this and you know hear from you about your experiences and you know hopefully prove that it's so vital etc and another problem with the education system is it's like we te- the way we teach is people need to pass an exam not they need to learn so I think the way you're saying it, it's like we just go into create not to necessarily deliver is very much like a, a nice way of of learning is in itself yes and I mean projects like the show that we're opening on Saturday which is an adaptation of the three little pigs that's been written with nine children three children from three different schools who are now in year six but we started working with them in year four mm. as the writers on our on this production we initially started with their whole class so three different classes in Plymouth Hall and Bridport where we live and then from that we selected three children from each group and they've come in and they're writing for the devising process so they're not writing a script they're writing bits of dialogue bits mm. of text they're writing ideas or they're writing stage directions for physical scenes so we've been teaching them theatre making and Amazing. in that learning lots of skills so for example we had one of the young writers had written a dialogue scene and we put it on an actor and a puppet and professional actors and I thought he's going to love this how amazing to be nine years old and you see your scene done with like really brilliant performers and puppeteers he's going to be blown away and he watched it and he wasn't blown away he was frustrated and I said what's wrong and he said it, it's not sounding like I thought it would sound <laughs> and I, so I thought ah he does know rhythmically he knows what this wants to sound like and where the passion and the drama in the scene should sit and we weren't getting it right and then so we were discussing it and I said oh I think if on that line you've written there if you put an exclamation mark there it would give the actors a clue that you want it delivered in a certain way and honestly Jane it was such a moment I wish you could have been there because it was like the whole of his literacy and the use of punctuation just landed in that minute of him going that's what punctuation's for I get it and his TA with him said he's really struggled with punctuation and understanding what it's for and in that moment it's like he saw the light and then he was off he just wanted to write after that yeah oh that's amazing well listen I'm, I'm dyslexic and dyspraxic and genuinely drama is what turned me around in terms of confidence and do you know what I mean so it's so important like I genuinely don't think I'd be sitting here now or having the career I'm having not to even sound braggy at all I, I also hate sounding like I'm, I'm not but I just mean that like I feel like I wouldn't be able to do any of the things I've done so far in my career without like having things like drama and music and things like that at school is, is vital there's so much it's amazing what you're doing there's so much I, like I'm excited to get sort of into all of it but just to cast your mind back I wondered if you remembered your earliest sort of creative memory do you remember when you f- sort of first thought that you might be interested in a career in this mental industry working yeah I think I mean I think I didn't really know that there was a career in the arts because quite sadly I mean I didn't get to see a lot of theatre when I was little mm. I don't know how old I was when I first saw my first theatre show, but I wasn't three or four, definitely not. So I think my first creative sort of memory is that I, I loved making up adventures 
And quite often I was sat still, so I would pretend that I was on a horse, but then I would create the adventure around me. And then I realised that those were stories, but they were stories where I was in the moment experiencing them. So, for example, it sounds a bit nuts, but I used to sit on this wall in my garden, and from there I could see this hill in Devon. And I used to imagine trotting on this horse up to the hill and what I could see once I got to the hill I would turn around and look back to see where I'd come from and that was the sort of start of going oh I wonder what this house looks like from the top of the hill and then that started to take me on adventures where I would go and explore different planets in my imagination Uh, and then really it was the adults that's around me that started to say you're making up stories and you're making up what seemed to be plays and I didn't really know what that was and then I came to learn that oh instead of me just doing this here on my own if I got the words out from inside my head out loud, then people could watch it. And then that's what a, sh- what a show is, because a show needs an audience. And I didn't hadn't really understood that because I was quite happy in my own imaginative world. So I'd say that's that's really the roots for me. And I love adventures. <laughs> I still love adventures. They're really, really important. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a lovely answer. Yeah, I really like that. And you sort of touched on it there as well. But are you from Devon then? Is that where you grew up? No, I was born in Germany, actually. And and then we moved to Somerset. Is that right? No, we... No, we moved to Devon first and then Somerset. Yeah, Devon from Germany. And that even the Germany experience, I think that my dad was had got his first job ever um, to be a teacher for the for the British Army. So that's why he'd gone over there. But also that was a great adventure for him and his new wife. Um, they got married I think, a week before the placement and um, gone over there. And I think they were really adventurous because they were a young couple with lots of other young couples exploring the world and being in Germany and being able to all you know get a couple of cars together on a weekend and drive to France and put a tent up at the weekend Mm. you know it it felt like a very vibrant beginning to my life. (laughs) No that's amazing because my next question is about sort of how where you're from has influenced your sort of identity as a creative so how did sort of growing up first in Germany and then in Devon and Somerset which are next to each other aren't they? Yeah right Uh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to Cornwall once so I went through both of them but I don't know that area of the UK very well to be perfectly honest but how did sort of growing up in those places how has that shaped you as a creative well it's such a brilliant question I think for me that kind of moving around that lots of the kind of military families have meant that I was often in strange places that I didn't understand mm. and that has made me be an explorer mm. and in a way I I think it's influenced my creative practice because I love being out of my depth I love being somewhere where I can't understand the language and I don't know the rules that's probably my in a way that's weirdly my comfort zone yeah so yeah I th- again I think that kind of growing up somewhere where you don't speak the language for example like in Germany we were speaking in English because we were with the forces so when we would go out and about you know kind of off base I wouldn't understand a word anybody was saying so I'd have to sort of try and figure that so yeah so I think being in places where I didn't understand what was going on around me meant that I was very creative in, you know, being able to find my way through things where I don't understand. So that kind of, I don't know, so again, it comes back to that wanting to explore. Mm. I'm always wanting to explore. And that's the, that's really the crux of my creative practice, I think. And I think being a theatre maker is brilliant if you're somebody that wants to explore because there are so many different ways to make theatre or present theatre because it's such a collaborative art form made up of choreography, music, design, physicality, puppetry, dance, drama, literature, poetry that I love, you know, just each time that we make a show. Yes, the process of working with children is very embedded, but we don't really sort of have a formula for making work. Mm. Every single thing we make is made in a different way. It's made from a different starting point. We don't go, this is the way we work, other than it's very playful. So yeah. we, we have very different entry points. So yes, I think those early experiences of not really belonging anywhere have served me really well as an adventurer. And obviously, when you work in theatre, you tour and you travel a lot. And that's definitely my comfort zone is being on the road. Yeah, you know, what's, re- what's really interesting, having done this podcast for nearly three years, well over 100 episodes we've done now. And this is, I'm not saying this is true. And I'm, you know, I might be generalising, but the, my, my sort of findings are for people that are really creative are either they grew up somewhere like myself where there wasn't lots to do necessarily it was sort of an industrialish town and they wanted to escape and have that sense of adventure or like yourself they were moving around lots and naturally felt a sense of adventure I feel like it's I've, quite a lot of people I've interviewed on this have either been one or the other so both are sort of making you creative in different ways but to the same point where it's either an urge to be an adventurer more or someone who just naturally has had that so that's what those 
sort of world they know I, that might be one of the most pretentious things I've ever said on this podcast but it's just an observation of, from talking to you now it sort of hit me <laughs> something in it isn't there and, and I think for me I don't know if this is the same for you or other people you've talked to but it's like I absolutely love meeting strangers and talking to people I don't know I love it yeah I much well, I mean... that <laughs> being part of a community you know like mm. if I'm bumping to the same people every day I mean not that I'd be rude to them I wouldn't but you know mm. I just love them somewhere I don't know anybody and striking up a conversation with somebody you've never met before and finding out who they are and what they're about and you know, and then, and of course, you use that, don't you, to draw characters from when you, yeah. when you dream or imagine. Because you're like, gosh, I met that really interesting guy the other day, and he said this, and I wonder what his life is like from the bits of information he told me. I think he lives in this kind of house, and I think his wife's like <laughs> that, and and that's what I love. It, like, I just feel like meeting strangers gives you gives you so much to kind of riff on in your imagination. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I love doing this podcast because it's like, there's just people I would never get to speak to otherwise. And it's like, you get to sit. I mean, it's quite specific because I'm getting to sort of speak about, to them about, the, you know, the industry I kind of work in and I'm involved in. But what's so lovely about it is it's not just about, it's not just you coming on and plugging your show. It's you talking about your life and your experiences. And that's, you know, the thing I love about long form conversation is exactly that, which is amazing. Before I go on to sort of get more into the, the the new show and like your sort of work in more depth, I wondered if you had a favourite word or phrase from one of the places you'd grown up over the years. Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a Somerset thing or it might be an Aberdeen thing because I lived in Aberdeen for a number of oh, years lovely. as well. As a Scottish person, I've only been to Aberdeen as a child. I would love to go and see it. I don't know why. I've just never, I need to go there as an adult. <laughs> Aberdeen's amazing. So brilliant. It's not nice in the rain. It's great. It's not <laughs> so yeah, I suppose an Aberdeen, an Aberdeen saying, I, I well, I love the dialect in Aberdeen, and they have this mm. little saying. I think it's Doric. Yeah, that they speak post that they say um the English is could uh, it was somebody ordering a pasty I heard and I heard him say can I have an it was can I have an onion one as well but he said can I I can't do a Scottish accent forgive me he said can I have, a, can I have an inginine and ah <laughs> yeah I'm sure a lot of our Scottish listeners would be familiar with that yeah, yeah. can I have an inginine or like can I have an onion one as well I just loved it it's such beautiful language and I think probably from Somerset I, my time in Somerset was in Bridgewater which is a very working class mm. Town, which at the time you know had a lot of unemployment and that's got a wonderful accent as well and they always say girt lush meaning it's brilliant yeah what polar opposite places in terms of distance in the uk as well so far apart from each other <laughs> yeah i like to go as far as far away as i can <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing well before sort of going into the the free little pig stuff and your company and things i wondered if you could just sort of talk us through for the listeners what your sort of day-to-day role is. You can talk about both your hats if you want. You can talk about owning the theatre as well. But what are your sort of, what's your day-to-day responsibilities as an artistic director, etc.? Yeah, so it's quite it's quite broad actually, in the, you know, I might be working with Jane and Ben, the producers of the company. So we might be talking about future ideas that we might have or commissions or opportunities that we've been offered in the future. And that's usually to do with kind of then frameworking how we might make that idea happen and where the funding might come from and which partners we might like to work on that with, whether it's the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra or Theatre or Plymouth or Lighthouse Theatre in Paul and just how we might start to framework those and how we want to kick those projects off. Or I might be helping to put ideas in of designing the print and design for the new show, Three Little Pigs, for example. Where we're staying is a creative space so ah, it has a theatre space but also it has a dormitory bedrooms and a kitchen so that we'll, oh, we basically just live here now for the next 10 days oh, um, amazing. Wow. And, and eat together so that's part of our what my daily job might also look like so I might be running the rehearsal room or running the production room like we are this week because we've got the sound designer with us and the lighting designer and all the technicians so it's working alongside all those brilliant creatives to put all of all of our ideas on their feet I might be working with children on a project to co-design something co-create something might be going into schools I might be one of the lovely projects we're working on at the moment is with a school in Manchester who have asked us as stuff and nonsense to design 
a creative curriculum for their entire primary school because they've recognised that they don't have enough creativity in the classroom. So this will be a three-year project of us working Amazing. alongside the children and the teachers and some of the parents to, to co-design a creative curriculum, which then we would kind of test. And then hopefully, once we've got it working, we'll be able, they'll be able to roll that out to the other primary schools in their kind of hub so that we'll be sort of spreading it out. So that's a really interesting sort of project to be working on. But yeah, I, I think I think it suits me, the artistic director role, because it's so multifaceted. Mm-hmm. And as you can probably tell, I love change and spontaneity. So I love that I have lots of different roles. I might be um, writing an artistic director's report for our board of trustees who want to know sort of what's gone well, what's not gone so well how we're fulfilling the aims and ambitions that we've set. I might be creating a, a new 10-year plan with Jane, who's our sort of executive producer of where we want the company to head in the future. And things like we might be designing how we support our kind of core artists through their careers, trying to talk with them and work out what they need to progress their careers. We're very much, as a company, we're very much with you people work with us and it works. We kind of want to keep something <laughs> going. So yeah. we try to perhaps uh, somebody as a performer might have another skill so they might have a brilliant ability to write lyrics so could they be a lyricist on another project or uh, mm. one of our she's, we've discovered she's actually a brilliant visual artist she does lovely sketches so actually we're giving her a lot of the design work now for some of our family packs that we create to give to families so that they can take creative activities home so yeah so we're always sort of I'm always looking for what are the opportunities or I might be mentoring a young person wants to go into the industry in some way and trying to find who's the best person to match them with in the company or people who've been with the company before might be good to talk to them or I might be mentoring other artists as well particularly around co-creation. How how do you switch off from all this how do you recover and rest and stuff? Because that's a very important thing. Like, and I know we're not very, always very good at it in the creative industries at being very protect. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we don't think about things like mental health or rest and stuff enough. As a not to generalize, but I do think most creative people I know are quite bad at that. Um, Isn't it funny? Most creative people are bad at that. <laughs> that interesting. No, that's a really good question, and I'm, I'm going to answer going to answer it really honestly for you because I think probably I am. Probably somewhere on the ADD scale of mm. of having that brilliant hyper focus that ADD or ADHD people have, which means that relaxing and resting is not something I love to do. So I do find it hard to switch my brain off. So I probably do it in two ways. But one is I have a love of science fiction. So I love, love, love watching science fiction movies or short form science fiction or reading short science fiction stories. So that's a really restful place for me because it's usually in another culture or on another planet. So I love that. And the other thing I do is I roller skate and I play a sport, which is a contact sport called roller derby, sort of a little bit. People describe it as it's a bit like rugby on wheels without a ball. (laughs) Um, So that definitely gives me time to switch off from thinking creative thoughts because I'm trying not to die. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's cool. I just thought it was a nice question to sort of ask to follow up from the last one because it's amazing for people to hear what your day-to-day role is, but they might be thinking, bloody hell, that's a lot. I don't know if I... But yeah, I don't know. Most people I know in various jobs in this in the creative arts are just not very good at taking time out. I don't know if it's a personality thing, if it's a cultural part of most jobs. Yeah, I know it's a weird one, but yeah, don't there's, seem to be good. Yeah, at... There's something in it around where the creative process sits. I think Jamie, in the, um, with, this is an anecdote from Chris Chibnall, who's our patron. Amazing. Uh, so Chris wrote for, for the listeners. Chris wrote Broadchurch and Doctor um, Who and lots of things. Yeah. Yeah, and Torchwood as well. He was involved mm-hmm. in. And I've known Chris a really long time because I taught his, not taught. I worked with, created with his children when they were really little, when they were at nursery school. And so he just sort of kept in touch. And he's been a really big supporter of stuff and nonsense and of our work. And I remember Chris and his wife Maddie were doing a fundraiser for the local primary school. And they were, they wanted Chris to, we wanted to screen one of Chris's Doctor Who episodes that he'd written and then do a Q&A with him afterwards with the children and the parents. And I was leading the Q&A and 
we, we got talking about that process of writing and what is writing. And one of the children in the audience put their hand up, the little boy, and said, I'm really creative, but I don't like writing because, you know, for children, writing is the forming, at that age, the forming of the letters and the sitting down and practicing the actual writing. And it can be too slow, can't it? Your brain's really mm. missing and your penmanship is so poor. Well, mine still is. And Chris answered the question by saying, oh, no, 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 you have to understand that that writers don't always do writing. And he said, in fact, the writing bit for, for me, Chris said, is the last thing that I do. And I only mm. write it down because somebody makes me. <laughs> and he said, most of the writing is when I'm in the bath or when I'm in my dressing gown or I'm going for a long walk. And, and I could see all the children in the audience going, oh, I see. So you're writing it in your imagination, in your head. And I could, and the children were just like, this is brilliant. I want to be a writer. And then you could see all the dads in the audience going, you lucky bugger. <laughs> you get to lie around in the bath and go for long walks and wear a dressing gown for half the day. How They were just really annoyed that that was what it's like. And Chris was saying that, but that is what it's like because... Mm. It doesn't always come when you want it to come. And I wonder if that's mm. part of why creatives don't switch off is because, and I, and you know, and I, I hate that sort of idea of, oh, inspiration comes when it comes and it doesn't come at other times. It doesn't mean you don't try and make it come. It doesn't mean you waft around in a dressing gown not trying. You put all the hours in and when you get those golden moments where the ideas come, that's when you do the work. And that yeah. could be at any point of the day or night. I mean, I often wake up in the night having had a very vivid narrative dream that I write down and that becomes a short story that I've written. So it's that it's just that busyness of letting your subconscious do the work. And that could be at any time of the day or night, really. Plus, we have to do a lot of other stuff as creatives, which is the funding applications. And yes, 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 yes. So quite often for me, anyway, that creative freedom gets pushed outside of my working day. Mm. I have to do in the early mornings or in the evenings because that's when my quiet time is. Yeah, I was about to say, and the other part of it, there's the love, there's the nice part of it, which is the Chris Chibnall answer, but the, the other part of it, which is the more maybe harder part, is that because a lot of creative jobs don't fit the conventional working constraints of a nine to five framework, often you have to do things in your spare time to make a living if you're you know say you're a freelance person working in theater for example like yourself it's harder because you might you know that you might have to work on top of other work to make a living and things like that so then it becomes harder to switch off yeah no for sure there's a lot there's a lot to that but no what a lovely answer Hello, it's Jamie here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated and, I mean, there's lots of podcasts, we all love podcasts, but it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like apple podcasts and google podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing me and elliot adore this podcast we love making this podcast so if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that we'd be incredibly grateful not just for our podcast but if you love any independent podcasts please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it, it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash job, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. There's so much more I could ask you today, but I know we're not we're not got like unlimited time and stuff. But ju- let's talk about the the show and because I know it's on tour between now and April, is it? That's right. Yeah. So tell us about it. It's, it's a reimagining of Three Little Pigs, and it's written as you say, developed with kids <laughs> and stuff. Tell us about that. It is. It's written with nine brilliant children. They're so amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, we chose the title because we know that we've made an adaptation of The Three Pigs before and we know that lots of audiences come to it because it's a story everybody's heard of. So we know it breaks down a barrier for those families that haven't come to the theatre before because they go, ah, I know the story of the three little pigs. I know what I'm walking into. And then what's been wonderful about the children is, like you said, that reimagining of the story. So these children that we wrote with really saw themselves right from the off as the three little pigs. 
those three pigs are them and we're telling their story. So it's been brilliant because a lot of the children that we worked with are from a, you know, an urban setting. They live in Plymouth or in Poole. And so, you know, they were saying things like, well, the three little pigs used to live in a, a flat above Greg's. That, that's where they were born, you know. So it was kind of a really interesting take on it to see, not to see them as three little pigs, but to go, oh, these are three nine-year-olds on the run from a scary wolf. And when we questioned or kind of examined that idea of the in the original story the the opening line of the story says once upon a time there was an old sow and she no longer had the resources to look after her piglets so she sent them out in the world to make their way in life and we gave that to these three classes of children and asked them what they thought and 90% of them said they didn't think that that was the real reason that mum had thrown them out Mm. I guess, Jamie, partly that's because it's a bit too scary to imagine that your parents no longer have the resources to keep you. So, of Mm. course, you want to avoid that as a reason for being homeless because it's threatening. But mostly those children were like, brilliant. Now we can have an adventure. Mum's given us permission to go out there and we have to fend for ourselves. And actually, we know that's scary as well, but it's also brilliant because it's how we find out who we are and who we're going to become. So that's been the sort of thrust of the storytelling Mm. uh, from the idea of the children of how are these pigs going to make it what do they need to do and we also unpicked quite quickly that the original story is quite thin in that the for example the three pigs just get some bricks and build a house and all the children were like well you can't just do that if you could there'd be no homelessness that's not the way it works you have to have land and you have to pay a builder and you have to afford bricks And houses are really costly. So a lot of the children we work with don't have their own homes. You know, they're in rented accommodation. So it was really interesting unpicking it from that kind of angle. Mm. And then I can tell you. Yeah. That's that's actually amazing. Kids are amazing, aren't they, in terms of like, I don't know, just... I think it's often adults, it's really hard because you grow up and you, ha- you have to learn to be a, to survive and, you know, work and think in a certain way. And I think we forget, I'm really bad for not being playful enough sometimes. I'm forgetting to sort of tap into my inner child. And I think sometimes what's so lovely, I don't have a lot of kids in my life at the moment because the age I'm at, I don't have my own kids and I don't really have friends having kids yet. But like when I see like little cousins and stuff, what I love is, you know, how profound kids can be as well just the way they speak sometimes like you're saying with this show and I think it's so nice to hear that because sometimes we as adults just can't think outside the box enough so you know that's amazing what you're saying about the development of this show and things yeah and so one of the central ideas that they really wanted to happen I think this was the children from pool they were like oh the wolf's chasing after them we want them to run to be safe after the straw house and the stick house have been blown down we want them to run into a theater because that's a safe place so people were like well that's really meta but you want the pigs to three pigs to run into a theater where there's a show going on of the three little pigs how on earth do we do that you know and we've only got two actors and so but we're honoring it and it's a really interesting kind of structure that there is somebody in the theater trying to do a show and the three pigs he's trying to do a puppet show of the big bad wolf and the three little pig and in pigs and in come three actual pigs trying to get away from a an actual wolf. So that's been really challenging, as you can imagine. Very, but very meta. <laughs> yeah, that. but it's brilliant for us because originally I was like, there's a brilliant idea. We can't do it. It's too hard. But we have found a way to do oh. it. And we've tried to build in all of the children's thoughts and ideas of what those pigs' adventures and kind of difficulties are through story and what the ending is as well is very much the ending that the children wanted and not the simplistic and easy to put on stage ending that we might have come up with they forced us to be much more creative yeah well there'll be a link to this in the show notes of this podcast when it comes out to the tour and so people can have a look at it but off the top of your head like where are you going and where can people see this show and stuff Going straight away, we go to Ipswich to the New Wolsey on the 24th of October and then it does a little tour. So we're going up to Bury, we're in Manchester and we're in Stockton on Tees, so a lot of north northern England. Mm. And then we back down south for Christmas to Lighthouse Pool in Dorset. And then after Christmas, oh, I can't remember where we go. We go. No, to don't Park. worry, it's all there, it's all there. The people oh, can click and on the up, link. We end up in Plymouth at the Theatre Royal Plymouth for three weeks. Amazing. Um, sort of conclusion of the first tour but the show will tour for pro- probably three years oh wow amazing because we tend um, to once we've made a show 
like I said, we want to get it as many people to be able to see it as possible. So we yeah. we spend a lot of time looking for opportunities. We're, we're not one of those companies that's like, oh, we've done a 12-week tour. We're happy. We're moving on to yeah. make another show. Is it sort of like, it's, fa- it's a sort of family show, isn't it? It's aimed for, uh, yeah. fa- not just kids, it's also aimed just, you know, all ages type thing. All ages, yeah. And that's very yeah. important as well. That it genuinely is absolutely entertaining for everyone. Or emotional and entertaining for all ages so it's yeah. lovely that work where I go okay this run through I'm going to watch it as if I'm three this run through I'm going to watch it through the lens of being a grandparent this run through I'm going to watch it through the lens of being the 12 year old that's dragged to something that they didn't want to come to and we try and construct the the shows so that everybody will enjoy them it takes us mm. a while sometimes to get that right because it's hard mm. and then the other thing I think about us is uh, um, we we have more than one show at a time so we have four shows touring this season up until after Christmas. So this is like yeah. our busiest year because we have those other shows that have been in existence for a couple of years are still touring. Yes, there's a bit of overlap. Well, there's be links to the, the company and everything in the show notes and all that. I've got a few more questions just before I wrap up, but like I wanted to ask you a question I don't know if I've asked on the podcast before, but because you, you work with young people so often and, and so many kids and stuff, what's the most profound thing you'd learned as an adult from working with young people? Ooh. Oh, there's so many. I'm going to say this one, and I can never remember who this quote comes from, and I really should get my act together to remember who said this. Mm. I think it's an educationalist. Oh, Christina Rinaldi, I'm going to say her name is, but that that might be wrong. But she has this lovely phrase that I'm also probably going to misquote, where she says that she feels that the kind of, if you decide what the end point of a child's learning is in in advance, you'll stilt the creative process. Mm. So if we say, I don't know, we're going to make a cardboard picture frame, by deciding that that's what you're going to do, you stilt the creative process of the children. And that's been, I knew that. It's just when I saw that written down in an academic book, I was like, that's the thing that children give me is they they never know where this is headed. They're so open-minded with an idea that they'll go in a direction and it'll go off piste somewhere completely different into a really creative and imaginative place that, like you said, as an adult, sometimes we find that really hard to go to. And that's it's a real eye-opener for me. It's, that, it's almost that sense of, I guess it comes back to that sense of adventure of like, we don't know what we're doing, isn't it brilliant? Whereas as, as an adult, you're kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. What am I doing? Is it valid? I'm scared. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm being paid and I don't know what I'm doing. The children are like, yes, we don't know what we're doing. Let's let's keep doing it because doing it's really fun. We, yeah. we, we're in it. We're so in it. We're not thinking about whether we're doing it or not. We're just doing it. Mm. We're not thinking about where it's heading. We're just we're just going with it. And that is the lovely thing. When we, when I go into a classroom, perhaps with one of our musicians or another performer, that's really what we're doing. I'd say we're probably doing a, an hour and a half improvisation together around mm. the story. And we're not really talking about it. We're just in it, improvising and throwing ideas in or a musician will pitch some beats in or some a melody in and a song will emerge because the children have the lyrics on their lips because they know what they want to say. So it's that I guess it's that freedom and that bravery that children have because they're not afraid. Wow. No, that, that's amazing. Amazing answer. What an amazing conversation so far as well, Nikki. Thank you for, for your time as well. It's been so interesting. No, me too. I don't know. I've, never, I've never thought about it. I've got, I've got, yeah, definitely. I've got just a few questions before I finish up, which the first of which is like, if do you have like sort of three skills somebody would need to work in the job that you do now? Three skills. I, kindness mm-hmm. kindness is really important and I think with kindness comes listening because kindness is about the other person so kindness and listening playful spirit mm. Mm. I don't know if this is a skill but letting yourself off the hook yeah to be fair skills is maybe not the wrong word it's more just like three things that you think people would need I don't maybe a maybe a sort of the word skill is not the right word for this but yeah, yeah. I think they're all I, three very good yeah the ability to let yourself off the hook because you Like you said, in the arts, you know, we have to have multiple jobs to earn a living, sadly, because the pay is not great. And that kind of sense of responsibility. I know lots of people outside the cultural industry seem to think that, you know, we're wafting around having a lovely time. And it doesn't that's not how it feels on the inside. I'm working really hard all the time and often putting off weddings and social events that my family want me to go to because I can't because I'm on tour and I'm working till late at night. So that ability to let yourself off the hook, I think, is really important. And I think it's 
it's also something that I'm seeing when I'm working with teenagers. They're under so much pressure at the moment with their exams and what they have to prioritise. And I'm not seeing them all have the ability to let themselves off the hook just to be who they need to be. It's linking to what you said a, a bit about relaxation, is if we're always driven, mm. that we miss out on who we are at, at our heart. And yeah. and that, well, that's where our creativity comes from. So For sure. No, that, that's a lovely answer and a great answer for the three things. I think, yeah, I've never had, we never had that one before, specifically letting yourself off the hook. I'm terrible for that as well. So, I mean, it's, it's fine me <laughs> sitting here and talking about it, but... You know, I'm, I'm not very good at relaxing or, or giving myself the time to, to just be myself and be creative, etc. So I feel I'm like, oof, that, that went deep, but um, in a good way. <laughs> so there's this lovely exercise that I do. And I, I, I can't even think where I learned it because I definitely didn't create it myself. I probably did it in a workshop 20 years ago for some other brilliant director. And it's just an exercise where you try to just start lying on the floor and then you when you're ready to begin, you just start to look around you and see what's lying around. Like, for example, you know, I can see on the floor in here, this bit of raffia is lying on the floor. So you just start to look at it and observe it as if you haven't seen raffia before. And you're not trying to pretend, oh, I don't know anything, but you just explore it. And so I can hear straight away, it's got a lovely noise to it. Mm. And so you just allow adults in the room to to pick things up and explore them and what happens is they start doing these weird things Jamie like you might see it might be a parquet floor and you see an adult pushing a tiny little bit of grit along the parquet as if they're there it's a little thing in a maze <laughs> and I let that exercise run if I can set it up well so that everybody's just off playing and fidgeting and pushing bits of grit around or seeing what a blind sounds like if you run your fingers down it I run that exercise normally for about 45 minutes and the adults think wow. that it's five minutes because they became immersed in something because they've been given permission to explore without a time limit and that everybody loves that exercise they're just like I was completely absorbed yeah. and then I say what you were doing what were you doing? And they're, they're like, well, I had my ear to the ground and I could hear all these metallic metallic noises coming from somewhere. And I, they were really interesting. And I was like, there you go. That's what it's like to be a child and have the off the hook permission, the license to just be, listen, experience and be creative. And as adults, we don't value that because we're so busy and we're trying to get everything done. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's sort of what I mean in, in a way by being off the hook. Yeah, so it's that, it's that ability. And then I see lots of teachers, if I run that exercise with teachers, they suddenly can be, they suddenly, some of them go, oh gosh, oh my goodness, I've been telling that child in my class off for fidgeting. And they weren't fidgeting, they were exploring. I'm like, mm. yes, they were exploring. They weren't fidgeting. Fidgeting is a bad word. They're exploring something with their hands or their mind or they're, or they're listening to something. They're exploring and you must give them time to do that because that's part of learning is to explore. Yeah. And you're, I only want you to explore this thing that we're doing now. And it doesn't involve anything that rustles or crinkles. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think we're better now because we have sort of fidget spinners and stuff like that. So we've given it a name. But um, a fidget spinner doesn't really allow you to explore something because it's so basic what it actually does. doesn't mm. do it also that. feels like it's sort of I oh, just take that so you don't you know go and look at other things etc I don't know yeah. I, I don't really yeah there weren't really a thing when I was a kid to be fair but you're right it's that constant to-do list trying to complete a to-do list all the time I feel like all, all I do every day is try and complete a to-do list and it's not always a, it's not a healthy way to live it's necessary to an extent but it's not a way to live just get a real one other question I want to ask is the name of the podcast is Just Get A Real Job. We'd all had to work jobs we hated to get by and stuff. What's the worst part-time job or, quote, real job you'd ever had to work to support your art? Oh, my goodness. Do you know what? I've I've liked all the jobs I've had, actually. I mean, I washed up dinner dishes in an elderly person's home, which sounds like a horrible job. And I loved it because those, <laughs> those people, the old people in there are just brilliant. And I've been a motorcycle courier and I loved that as well. So don't, I think I've been very lucky. I don't think I've had a job I haven't liked. <laughs> that's, a, that's nice. That's good. Yeah. There are bits of this job I don't like, though. I don't really like <laughs> doing the fun applications. That's not much fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, forms are just, forms are hard, aren't they? They're not very yeah. creative. They're very uh, box ticky and very much in a box um, yeah. all the things that we have sort of been saying are bad throughout this entire episode really but yeah. just just to close Nikki what would your advice be to anyone interested in 
working in the creative industries in general, but particularly in theatre where you're sort of expertise are? Hmm. I would probably say go and talk to people that work in the industry. I mean, I was very lucky, I think, as a younger person because I was able to be in a youth theatre group that was based in um, Bridgewater Arts Centre. So that enabled me to see other professionals that were working in the building and that kind of small scale touring theatre where you can go and watch a show and then the artists on stage, you know, are not swanning off somewhere. They're doing their get out. And so actually quite often you can hang around and chat to them. And that's really, really useful if you can actually get to chat to people who are doing the job. And I was really surprised when I was a young person at how generous people in this industry are with their time. They mm. will give you their time. Or if you say to a company, I just loved your show. Is there any way I could come and sit in on a rehearsal and see how you actually make it? I've hardly, barely ever had anybody say no. They might have said, well, not at the moment, but come back to us. That's really, really useful because then you get to see how they do it. And it sort of also demystifies it because quite often I've had choreographers and directors turn to me in the room and say, what do you think of this bit? When I'm like 15, I go, you're asking me. And they're like, yeah, because you're the audience and you you will have a, you will know. So that's, that would be my advice is find opportunities mm. to talk to people and get involved and watch them creating their work, whether that's somebody that's written a song with a biro on a bit of paper and they've gone into a studio, you know, can you hear those different versions? Could you say, could you play me what it first sounded like before you made it good? Mm. And just, no. yeah, get, get, get engaged with what the creative process really is, you know, because Beyonce is not brilliant because she's just always brilliant. She's brilliant because she puts the work in and the time in and she goes through a creative process to discover what works and what doesn't work, you know, I mean, obviously she's very talented, but I think for young people, you can look at people on stage who are amazing and think I will never get there. So being able to have conversations, very important. Yeah, no, that's a lovely answer. Nikki, thank you so much for your time tonight. This, this has been such a lovely, fascinating conversation. And I'm sure there's so many people listening that wish they had someone like you and your company involved in their school or their education when they were growing up my mum who's a teacher is going to love this conversation as well so she I'm sure she's going to have enjoyed this one but thank you so much for being honest as well and for your time tonight it's honestly been such a lovely conversation to have well thank you thank you for guiding it so well and giving me such good provocations it's lovely yeah I've really enjoyed chatting with you it's been wonderful we should do it again definitely yeah of course we'll definitely have to get you back on at some point in the future to to revisit the company and what you're up to and stuff thank you Nikki there you go that was episode 121 of just get a real job thank you again to nikki for her time such an inspiring conversation and we've been really lucky on this run of the podcast actually i think we had three or four guests that have been working in this industry for upwards of 30 years so in mervyn stutter's case who we had on a couple of months ago actually he'd been in it for like 50 years or something so we're spoiled to have that sort of knowledge and people with that experience chatting to us and sharing their insights um, i hope you find it as interesting as I do I'm sure you do before I also close off this week's episode just a quick reminder that there's links in the show notes to uh, Stuff and Nonsense Theatre Company so if you want to go and check out the free little pig show that's on tour or any of uh, Nikki's work uh, just go below the podcast have a look at the links something else I wanted to flag and if you're still listening you're still with us I've noticed over the last couple of weeks that quite a lot of people have been delving into our back catalogue which is amazing it's always good to see that episodes were recorded even a couple of years ago are still being listened to and still being enjoyed we have done over 120 episodes now so there's a really big back catalogue full of insightful and interesting conversations even some of the ones really early on I'm maybe not as good an interviewer then but I think there's some really good stuff there so be sure to check that out and if you do go back and listen to stuff be sure to share it still people still like to find out and hear and stuff as always as well if you are listening on Spotify you can follow us there now you can review us there now same on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts but that's all we have time for this week we've got a few more left before the end of the year to come out some really great conversations lined up and recorded as always thank you for listening thank you for your support and have a lovely week everyone just get a real job